Hey, New City, uh, my name is Nate Bush. Good to be the lead pastor here. Uh, I am so grateful if you're visiting uh, for the first time. Welcome. Uh, you are so welcome to hang out with us. We are imperfect people, being courageous, believing in the power of Jesus to make all things new. Emphasis on imperfect, and so nobody in our church community has their stuff together. But we do believe that God does renewal work which is why we're praying people. So behind me, uh, you'll see some boards. These are from a prayer experience we had recently. Uh, the board to my right has a bunch of educators' names written on it, a whole bunch of educators at New City and at Mission Ave, a school that we serve. And uh, it was such a joy for me this week to walk in uh, to our church facility, look at those names, to pray over those names, and ask the Lord uh, to work this week in all those educators' lives. And I know this is a, a very difficult time, and, uh, but it's, it's getting better, and that's the good news. It's getting better. I want to encourage you to go to newcityabq.org forward slash four-step plan. There'll be an important announcement there for you if you haven't heard already uh, about uh, how we're working towards in-person gatherings. So that's going to be exciting uh, for you uh, to visit that. I, I think if you're like, you know, if you're like me, um, you like to get out. You like to socialize. I mean, there are a handful of people, I've met you, there are a handful of people who have been ex excelling during this COVID experience personally because their, uh, um, you know, introversion is, uh, is, is a gift that God has given them and they enjoy a little bit of solitude. But listen, man, I'm an extrovert and I am ready to get out. I'm ready to party, okay? And uh, so when, when I've been faced with a lot of challenges, just emotionally, psychologically, what that mean, what that's been for me is like I, I get irritable. And when I don't get my peeps, I get irritable. And when I get irritable, I'm likely to say things I would regret and I'm likely to need to seek forgiveness and to fix some broken relationships that can happen from time to time in my life. Uh, well, today we're going to talk about reconciliation. We're going to talk about it as a general topic, and then we're going to get very specific at the end of our sermon today about race and reconciliation. But reconciliation is needed in our world right now, uh, both in the you know, micro versions of our lives and our homes and all the things COVID, but also in the macro versions. You see it uh, in America right now. There's just a lot of conflict and there's a great need for reconciliation. You see the world right now that we're in, there's a lot of retribution. Uh, certainly there's a lot of retaliation happening. And what we need to show up is the people of reconciliation. Uh, we've been given a ministry of reconciliation, which begs the question, why is there a ministry of reconciliation? What is this all about? You see it in our reading today from uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us, as the apostles speaking, but along with the apostles, we have this entrusted message of reconciliation. Uh, we have been given this message of reconciliation to take to the world. But why has why this ministry of reconciliation been given? Well, there is a point that we cannot overlook. And I want you to listen carefully. All human beings, all, all, human beings are immeasurably valuable. Reconciliation is important because you, every human being you've ever met has a worth that is beyond value. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God made us how? In his image. That's how God made us, in his image. Which means every human being is a masterpiece that God has signed with his own hand in love. To put in the words of the psalmist, I praise you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it well. This is what moved C.S. Lewis to write the words in The Weight of Glory. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. God made you. Listen, God made you. Even though he knew it would require a tremendous sacrifice to reconcile a loving relationship with you, and he made you anyway. Why? Well, you are here today. I'm here today. Because we are, you are, immeasurably valuable to God. You have tremendous value to him. I'm going to push this home just for a second, and I want, you to hear, I want you to not only hear me, but I want you to believe this about yourself. You have never met a human that does not bear the image of God and who is not immeasurably valuable to him. You've never met one. Now, we, we live in a cancel culture society. We live in a society right now where a lot of people are angry at a lot of other people, and there's, there's all kinds of name-calling and infighting, but I want you to know you've never met a human. You, I'll, I'll go further. You've never seen a human that does not bear the image of God, and he was not immeasurably valuable to him. So why is there a ministry of reconciliation? Well, it gives people matter. All people matter. People matter. And because people are broken. You see, there were four broken relations of the fall that we have to revisit and be mindful of. These broken relationships are the reason for the reconciliation ministry. Reconciliation ministry happens and is needed because people matter because people are broken. What was broken? Well, our relationship with ourselves was broken of the fall. And you see this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made, them, made themselves loincloths. What's this all about? Well, in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sinned. They took a fruit that they should not have taken. God said, don't do it. And they did it because Satan said, if you do it, you'll be like God. And they did it, and they were selfish, and they're doing it, but they did it. And what immediately happened to them? What was the effect of the fall in their life? They knew they were naked, and they sewed loincloths. In other words, they hid themselves from each other. They felt vulnerable. They felt ashamed. They had an immediate broken relationship with the self. See, before Adam and Eve sinned, there wasn't any personal shame. Uh, there wasn't fear. There wasn't guilt. There wasn't shame. They didn't exist. The, the things that internally that cause us to feel anxious and worried, that uh, the things that, they, that all, all the, you know, when you think about the, how often our mind space is taken up uh, by our fear of measuring up, our fear of being accepted, our, our worry of people, how people see us, how they perceive us, none of that existed before the fall. Another broken relationship with this was our relationship with God was broken. And so they sewed these fig leaves together. They went off in hiding, verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord of God walking in the garden, the cool of the day, and the man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And so they, they, they were, began to experience shame. They began to experience a breakdown of you know, their relationship with themselves, but they also experienced a breakdown of their relationship with God, and they hid from God. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? By the way, this is the first recorded missionary journey when God went to the garden 
looking for humanity. By the way, the story of the Bible is not a story of a humanity desperately seeking after God. The story of the Bible is a God searching after a desperate humanity. And God is looking after Adam and Eve, looking for them because they're hiding. And so the four broke relationships are our relationship with ourselves, relationship with God, relationship with others. And you see this in verses 10 and following. It's pretty interesting what happens here. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, this is Adam speaking, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you, God speaking, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, listen, what the man said, the woman whom you gave me or gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. You see immediately here a displacing of blame. I mean, you could certainly read it this way. He says to God, well, if you think about it, you gave me this woman and she led me astray and it's her fault. And if you really think about it, it's your fault because you gave her to me. But he's immediately experiencing a brokenness in his relationship with Eve. The four broken relationships, ourselves, God, others, and nature. Uh, the final of the broken relationships when Adam and Eve are eventually banished from the Garden of Eden. He drove out the man and uh, at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And so what began to happen, because sin in the world is everything began to fall apart. Uh, life itself began to fall apart. Tim Keller writes that ordinary life is what God, what's going to be redeemed. It's what God's at work doing. He's redeeming ordinary life. And he says there's nothing better than ordinary life except there's always going away and always falling apart. And that is the result of sin. It's falling apart. You see, the, the fall of humanity, this, this fall of brokenness, this fall, this fall that brought about brokenness, broken relationships with ourselves, broken relationship with God, broken relationship with others, broken relationship with nature, it's undeniable. The, the fall is an undeniable human experience. Uh, this is how you experience the fall. It, even if you're not a Christian, this is how you experience the fall. Uh, the world's not the way it ought to be, and you know it. That's how you experience the fall. The world is not the way it ought to be, and you know it. In fact, it enrages you. Uh, it, it moves you. It moves you to vote the way you do. It moves you to have the conversations that you have. It moves you to have the jobs that you have. It moves you to have the relationships that you have because you know the world's not, not the way it ought to be, and you're trying to fix it. Why? The question really is, why do I feel like it ought to be anything? That, that's really the question you should be asking yourself. Well, why, should, why do I feel like the world ought to be in any way in particular. And here's the answer. That people were, were, were made with inherent purpose and value. Like you were made with inherent purpose or value and that purpose has been violated. And when you begin to experience in life the devaluing of humanity and you begin to experience in life the breakdown of purpose, you know that life isn't the way it ought to be. See, the world is in pain because the world is violating its purpose. It's experienced the fall. You are not the way you ought to be. You've had a breakdown in your relationship to yourself. Other people aren't the way they ought to be, and you've had a breakdown in your relationship with others. You experience in life a kind of hiding. When you work and you cover up and you, you do the things that you do to try to put your best foot forward, but you always know, you, mean, you just know that you're, you can't be everything you should be. That's a kind of hiding from God. 
It's a feeling of unacceptability. But Jesus is at work reconciling all of our broken relationships. That's what he does. He reconciles broken relationships. And you see here verses 18 and 19. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And so Jesus has a ministry, a ministry of reconciling broken relationships. He reconciles the broken relationship with ourselves. He reconciles the broken relationship that we have with other people. He reconciles the broken relationship we have with him. And ultimately he reconciles the broken relationship we have with life itself because he redeems us from a world that's killing us and gives us life and life everlasting. We need to be reconciled with ourselves. We do. Like we need that reconciliation. Why? Because sin is not merely an act, it's a power. Uh, if you have some experience with Christianity, you might misunderstand the Christian view of sin. Uh, the Christian view of sin isn't pointing out activities that are bad necessarily. Uh, the Christian view of sin, more completely, is it's, sin is a power at work within you. Uh, a power that's causing you to do things that you don't want to do. The Apostle Paul describes it this way in Romans 7.21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. It's a law of life. Uh, I often will say that if you don't believe sin is a power, try to stop doing it. Try, try to love your neighbor as yourself completely all the time without fail. Try to consider others' uh, interest above your own. Uh, try to not return evil for evil, but to overcome evil with good as a matter of practice in your life. What you'll find is that sin lies close at hand. See, what sin does ultimately is it turns the human heart inward. That's the trick of sin. It turns the human heart inward rather than outward towards God and others. Sin is ultimately a kind of slavery. It's, it's a, it enslaves the mind to the self. It has you captivated by you and your needs. Why? Because when you go back to the Garden of Eden, what happened to Adam and Eve? They felt vulnerable. They felt ashamed. They hid themselves. They covered themselves with leaves. What happened? They became profoundly self-centered. They were not, they, were, they, they had never been that self-aware, uh, at least when it came to, uh, to sin. They'd never become that self. I mean, they immediately had become aware of their own brokenness, and their mind could not escape it. In fact, you know your body is not well when your body draws attention to itself. Uh, when you stub your toe, or you, you, hit, you, you, you hit your finger inadvertently, you, sh, you know, slam a finger in a door, uh, that finger's going to let you know, hey, I'm not okay. <laughs> and your body goes, ah! And it draws attention to the part of your body that's not right. Listen, you know your mind is not well, you know your ego is not well when your mind keeps calling attention to itself. When, when you go throughout your day and your predominant conscious thought is you, that's a symptom, a sign that sin has made you sick. You're not well. See, one of the symptoms of an inward mind is a me first or us first protectionism. Look at verse 12 again in, in verses 13. You see it play out almost immediately in the narrative. This is Genesis 3. The man said, the woman whom he gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. So he immediately goes, I'll protect myself, and I'm going to throw the woman under the bus. 
Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And she again displaces blame. What ultimately happens because of sin is we, we become, when we let it run its course in our life, is we become profoundly self-centered and protectionistic. Uh, we look after our own interests above all other interests because we feel vulnerable. It's natural because we feel unsafe. And injustice really requires two movements, and both movements are caused by sin. Because when, my, when, when sin in me, when it, when, it, when it produces protectionist ideas or me-first ideas, I immediately do everything I can to protect me. And injustice requires two things to happen. And the first thing that has to happen in order for injustice to happen is, is removing the Imago Dei from another. Like when you remove the Imago Dei from another human being, what you're doing is you're beginning the process of, of, of allowing yourself to create and cause some injustice in their life. You can only oppress a people or a person whom you don't see as equal to you in value and dignity and worth. Uh, injustice also requires another movement, which is me first thinking. It's you, you don't have the Imago Dei, and what really matters is what matters for me. Systemic injustice removes the Imago Dei from a group of people. You can see how that plays out. And systemic injustice also moves from me first thinking to us first thinking. It's, it's protect the tribe over all other costs and remove the Imago Dei from the other tribe. You see, if sin has enslaved your mind to the self, it's going to manifest in a couple ways. It's going to manifest in a lack of self-awareness to your own brokenness and a lack of empathy, a lack of, a lack of ability to see the other person as an image bearer of God, full of dignity, full of worth, full of value. See, self-centeredness, what it does when your mind gets turned into itself, it blinds you with self-righteousness. It, it, it elevates you above all other people, and it blinds you with self-righteousness. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, Jesus says? Why do you fixate on the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice a log that's in your own eye? Because you have an inflated view of yourself, and you've begun the process of removing from the other the Imago Dei, their value, their worth, and what you're seeing is their worth quality, their worth trait, their worth trait and you're bringing it out. And Jesus says, listen, you need to be self-aware. The seed of what you hate in other people lives in you. The seed of what you hate in other people, it lives in you. Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. You've heard, <laughs> you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. What's he saying? You say, you think that murder is really the issue? That's not where murder begins. Murder doesn't begin at murder. There's a whole other process that goes on. And it starts with hating somebody else. It starts with reviling somebody else. And, and when you have anger towards a person or a group of people, hey, listen, hold on. When you let rage build in you towards a person or a group of people, Jesus says you're guilty of murder. 
The seed of it lives in you. The seed of what you hate in others lives in you. Self-centeredness also does this other thing to you, this other trick. It hardens your heart towards others. You, you, when you begin the process of removing from someone their imago day, when you begin to elevate the log in their eye, or the speck in their eye when you have the log in your own eye, when you begin to elevate, you know, what happens is you become blind uh, to the needs of others, the stories of others, the lives they've lived, the lives their parents have lived. And when the gospel takes root in your, in your, in your life, like Philippians 2.4 seems more natural. Like, let each of you not look to your own interests, but also look to the interests of others. Like, that becomes more natural. The self-centered mind can't do that. It can't look to the interests of others. It can't elevate their interests above my own. The, the, the self-centered mind, it, it draws all the attention to the self or draws all the attention to the needs of the subgroup that makes me feel safe. But the gospel frees you from all of that worry. It, it opens your eyes to see the Imago Dei and, and, even, and even your enemies. We cannot limit God's limitless love. We cannot put limits on his limitless love. And what happens when you've been reconciled to God, when he does the reconciliation work in you, and you realize that he reconciled not because you he reconciled you not because you were good, because he was good on your behalf, and he took your sins to the cross, and when you when you really see yourself as you really are as a sinner, broken and beat down, and you see Jesus paying the penalty for all of your sins on the cross, bearing them away, rising again from the dead, conquering your conquering your sin, giving you his righteousness, what begins to happen in you is you begin to grow in your compassion for other people. Your, your love capacity begins to grow. I'm quoting a lot from the Sermon on the Mount today because, I mean, we are, like, the American church needs to go back and read Matthew 5 to 7. This is again from the Sermon on the Mount. You further was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, Jesus speaking, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Sin in you that's producing self-protectionism, that's producing self-centeredness, What it, do, what, what it does is it desperately tries it desperately tries to elevate itself over, over everything else. But it also does something else in a lot of us. In elevating the self, sometimes that means arrogance. But in elevating the self, sometimes that means insecurity. It means, it means it's a kind of arrogance that is um, 
not oppressive of others, but oppressive of the self. Because sin will also try to rob you from your acknowledging that you share in the Imago Dei. You see, the accuser shows up in our life sometimes, and the accuser comes over, and he points out your flaws, and you just elevate your flaws, and he speaks about your flaws to the point that you wonder if you really have value. And I want to tell you that no one or nothing can take away from you the dignity of sharing in God's image. Like, no one can take that away from you. Nothing can take that away from you. You are God's unique and wonderful masterpiece. That's who you are. The Bible says, For we are his workmanship, his poem, his song, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And what happens when you've been rescued, reconciled by Jesus, and you have this experience of like your sins being washed away, as the Bible says, or as you receive his righteousness, in other words, like, you're not walking around with guilt and shame and fear anymore, but you're walking around a recipient of grace, a recipient of, 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 of righteousness. Um, you're, you're freed from self. And your, your mind isn't drawing attention to itself anymore because it's just freed from all that noise and all that baggage. And what happens is your mind's now free to, to, to worship God and to love the other. In fact, your mind is free to take with it, the ministry of reconciliation. And we need to be reconciled with God in order to be, <laughs> to be reconciled with ourselves. And when we've been reconciled with God and we've been reconciled with ourselves, we can then go do the work of reconciliation. And our reconciliation with God, it frees us from the bondage to self. It frees us from that self-centered thinking. The Bible says, Romans 6.20, when you were slaves to sin, that's what, how the Bible sees it, it's a slavery to a power, a self-centeredness. You were free uh, when, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness, he says. Slaves to sin. You see in 1 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. A new creation freed from the power of sin. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's important, I think, for us to acknowledge that we are free because Jesus has succeeded <laughs> at what we could only fail to do. Like, we are free not because we've achieved something, because we've accomplished something. We're free because we've received God's wonderful gift. This is how reconciliation works, verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. How did he do it? How did he reconcile us to himself? For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteous of God. It's through forgiveness. God said, I see the sin that you have done, and I will forgive you of your sin. I will pay the penalty for your sin. That's what forgiveness is. I will endure the pain of forgiveness. And he reconciled us by paying the penalty, being buried in the grave, rising again, giving us not only new life, but his righteousness. This is what the Christian message does for you and me. When you recognize that I have not received a righteousness that's based upon my performance, but based upon Christ's performance, it does something to you. It does something to me. The Christian message removes all of our arrogance. It removes all of our boasting. It removes all of our pride. For by grace you've been saved, says Paul in Ephesians 2.8. 
For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is a, not your own doing. It's a gift from God, not a result of works so no one can boast. It removes all your arrogance. But you know what it also does? Uh, the Christian message also removes all of your insecurity. So it removes all the arrogance that leads you to sometimes act in retaliation or remove the Imago Dei from other human beings. It also removes the insecurity, which is that attempt sometimes to remove the Imago Dei from yourself. And to read the words again in verse 21, for us, say God made him and you know sin to be sin, so that in him we might become God's righteousness. Like we became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Like we became his righteousness. We are right because of what Christ has done for us. And so we can rest. We don't have to be insecure about all of our shortcomings because what we possess is the righteousness of Jesus. And so when we boast as Christians, we boast in Jesus' resume, not our own. And so when the enemy accuses us of sin and points out our shortcomings, we go, look, I am not saved because I was good. I'm saved because Christ is good. I'm not saved because I've measured up. I'm saved because Christ has measured up on my behalf. I'm not saved because I am good. I'm saved because he is good for me. I'm not saved because I have been righteous. He was righteous for me, and he's given me his righteousness. You see, our arrogance and our insecurities are what keep our minds preoccupied with ourselves, but Christ redeems us from that kind of arrogance that leads to oppression of other people, that kind of insecurity that leads to oppression of ourselves. And he replaces that with humility. He replaces that with, with kind of a gospel courage where we, we walk around with our head held high because we possess his righteousness, but we don't look down on anyone because we know it came as a gift of grace and not something we've earned through effort. And so we take this message of reconciliation to the world. And we need to be a people of reconciliation. Like we need to be a people bringing this message of reconciliation. A message of grace, a message of hope. And our reconciliation with God empowers us with a message of reconciliation. It empowers that message. Looking in at our text, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. And entrusting to us, the apostles, and by consequence us, with a message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are, listen, ambassadors of Christ, his representatives to the world. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. A dominant feeling, you could say, <laughs> that fuels our ministry of reconciliation is compassion. God saw you when you were a sinner, broken, busted, beat down, <laughs> failing. And he succeeded for you. He gave you his record of rights and took your record of wrongs. That can't help but to make you feel compassionate. See, we, we can never reduce a person made in the image of God into a caricature that inflates their worst feature. Christians can't do that. We can't, we can't reduce a human being to a singular flaw. Because no human being is merely mortal. Every human being is made in the image of God. Every human being has inherent dignity and worth and value. Every human being is somebody whom, for whom Christ died and wants to rescue and save. We have to resist our, the temptation to find our righteousness in another's comparative brokenness. This sometimes happens. It sometimes happens that people in society will say, well, that person's so terrible. They'll say things like, at least I'm not a murderer, or at least I'm not a child abuser, or at least I'm not a... And they, you know, they'll sometimes will say, well, I'm, you know, I'm not so bad. And we'll find their righteousness in comparison to others. 
we have to fight that temptation. Listen, if you're a Christian, you've been reconciled to God, you are reconciled because Christ paid the penalty for your sins. You're a sinner. But you're not just a sinner. You are also a recipient, if Christ has reconciled you, of his righteousness, like he gave you his righteousness. And so you're a saint. You're really a saint who was rescued from their sins as a gift, and that humbles you. But forgiveness is really hard to come by when you are living in a world of comparative righteousness. Miroslav Wolf says it this way, says, Forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. And you look at the way people are living in the world today, and you can see how, how many people are excluding themselves from the community of sinners as they are also excluding their enemies from the community of humans, robbing others from their Imago day. You see, when we have compassion for others, we see their misdeeds as evidence of a fallen nature that we share. And our deep desire is to see them experience the reconciliation that we have received. Like that's, that's the desire. It's compassion. You can't look out in the world right now with all the brokenness going on and not feel compassion. It's too easy. It's too easy to inflate a single person or a group of people to their worst quality. It's dangerous, Nate. All right. Race and reconciliation. What happens, I think, what happens, I think, sometimes is Christians, and, and I'm speaking to Christian people here, are forgetful of their own story. And really what I want to do in the sermon is just say, don't be forgetful of your own story. Uh, don't be self-righteous. It is easy to look at some on the right and say, everyone on the right is like this. It's easy to look at some on the left and say, everyone on the left is like this. It is easy to inflate a singular quality that you despise in those on the left and to inflate the same quality that you despise in those on the right. And forget your own story. I mean, to, to, to really, to, to look at the speck in somebody else's eye when you got a log in your own. You are a sinner, desperately lost and broken. And God reconciled you. Because he sent Jesus, his son, after you to reconcile you. And I've heard some say, well, BLM, that's Marxist. and That's all this. And this group over here, they, you know, they, all they do is they love their Bibles and their guns. That's what they're all about. And there's a lot, I mean, it's just so easy. It's just so easy to be retaliatory when God's given you a ministry of reconciliation. And so there's a race issue in our country right now. It's, it's um, I mean, it's, 
It's hot. It's white hot. And yet to see when God reconciles the world to himself, he's reconciling the world. And when God gives the vision for his restored future, his vision is a glorious and multi-ethnic one. And in Romans 7, 9, in the resurrection and the renewed world that God's creating, there's a song being sung. Nathanael looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The singers are from every nation, every tribe, every language. I want you to see the vision of the future. The vision of the resurrection is a resurrection of bodies, ethnic bodies. Bodies that come from various backgrounds, black bodies and white bodies and brown bodies. And these bodies are resurrected from various cultural and ethnic backgrounds, singing from every tongue, tribe, and nation the song of the Lamb, the song of redemption, the song of reconciliation. Jesus tore down the dividing walls of hostility. He tore down the walls that divide humanity. He tore down the walls that divide the Jew from the Greek. In Ephesians, it says this, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing walls of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace. Jesus broke down the walls and made it so that every tongue, tribe, and nation could worship and sing the song of the Lamb, the song of a reconciled people to a reconciled God. You see, the church is going to be living out her mission of reconciliation. It is going to have to include racial reconciliation. It will have to include it. I want you to, to think about it. Just think about it to reconcile us. Jesus stepped into our broken story. This is what reconciliation looked like for Jesus. He stepped into our broken story. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. To reconcile us, Jesus stepped into our broken story and gave us an unbreakable story. In other words, he lived a life that we could not live and he died the death that we should have died and he was broken on the cross because our story is broken and he gave us his story, an unbreakable story, an unbreakable righteousness as a gift from him to us. For our sake, he made him to do no sin to be sin, to be broken on the cross for us so we could become his righteousness. It is important to note that we are not the Savior, but we are his ambassadors. We do represent him to the world, and we represent the ministry of reconciliation. And reconciliation isn't something you do to people. Reconciliation is not something Jesus did to us. He didn't, it's not, it's not something he did to us. It's something he did with us. Hold on, okay? Jesus put on his brown Middle Eastern skin and he walked with us and he died for us. 
And he has raised up. He has raised up from the, gra- from the grave. And he's raised us up with him. Jesus put on his brown Middle Eastern skin. He walked with us, died for us, and has raised us up with him. So the Bible says Jesus is God with us. Reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation, is always going to require not speaking to people or at people, but being in community with people. Jesus came into this world and he lived the life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we should have died. He was buried in the grave. He rose again. He conquered our sin and death. He gave us his righteousness. And he said, go out as my ambassador and take this message to the world that I reconcile sinners. I've been wanting to, in this season, um, to listen. To listen better. Uh, I've been wanting to, to hear other people's stories and to walk into their stories. And a few months ago, we started a series of conversations on race and uh, reconciliation. And I'm so glad you get to hear Merle's story today. When I heard Merle's story, uh, I cried through her entire story. Her spirit, her love of Jesus, it shines through. And I want you to check it out. Hi, Merle. Hi, Lynette. How are you? Good. Good. We finally get a chance to chat. Finally get to sit down and just talk. So we're here in your house. This is so beautiful. Thank, Thank you. you for having me. This is my home that uh, my husband and I redid. We added this room. And he, as you can tell, he loves wood. And this was one of his most admirable projects. I grew up in Amarillo. I was one of the first to integrate schools in Amarillo. I remember when I first came to Albuquerque, we were not allowed to sit at a counter downtown at a store called Woolsworth. I know what it's like to be told you can't go through the front door, you have to go through the back door, you can't drink out of this fountain, you have to drink out of that fountain, you can't go to this bathroom, you have to go to the other bathroom. I know all of that. I know what kids are going through now because I've been there. I've lived it. When our children were growing up, it was instilled in them. You are no different. No one is better than you. Whatever you want to be, you be the best of it. Frank was a man that you Loved him from the minute you would see him. He was, he was one of a kind. And I remember one day I asked him, I said, 
I want to have what you have with, with God. And he said, you have it. I said, no, I want to be in tune with him the way you are in tune with him. Because he could sit for hours with no one around, doing nothing. And just, you ask him, what are you doing? He says, I'm just being quiet and listening to the Lord. My son played basketball for Temple. We went to Farmington to a basketball game. He was the only black child on Temple's team, and he got ridiculed. The coach, I loved Mr. Anderson. He said, okay, and he told the refs, he said, one more remark about my player. I'm going to pull the team off. And they did it. And he said, okay, boys, let's go. I felt very proud and very humble to him for doing that, for standing up for what he believed. And that's what we need to start doing. Stand up for what you believe. Kids are my whole life. If I had enough funds, I would love to build a house to put all the kids that have been mistreated or are not wanted and let them know what love is like and what love is all about. It takes a village to raise a child. We need to get back into praying over these kids. Lord knows if we start praying over these young people, we are going to have a new generation that nobody, nobody can take it away because we are going to have a new foundation and that foundation is going to be built on Jesus Christ. Lord, don't get me started. Don't, oh Jesus, Jesus help us. We need to stop playing church and be the church. That's what I like about New City. New City, when I first heard about them, it was like, I like them already. And I haven't stepped a foot in the door, but I like them because New City isn't just a building. <clears throat> it goes outside the four walls. It is a place that you feel love. And I love the slogan, no perfect person is welcome here. And Lord knows I'm not perfect. And they took me in and it is open heart. What is a message that you would wanna give to the next generation? What's, what do you want them to know? Be yourself. Don't be fake. Be yourself. Be who you were created to be. You've got to love yourself, number one. 
love yourself. If you can look in the mirror and say, I love me, you're doing good. I don't like me sometimes, but I love me. Sometimes when I go to bed at night, I don't like me because I didn't do something that I wanted to do, but I love me. And when I can get up in the morning and say, Merle, I love you. Thank you, Lord, for waking me. For that gentle touch that you touched me to wake me up. The nudge. Thank you. Thank you for the people that you put in my view. I thank you. This is yours truly. That was... That's you? Yeah. That's me. Merle, I want to thank you for sharing your story. Uh, and you should know church. Merle's one of our educators on this board, and we've been praying for her, and I've been praying for you. I'm so proud that we get to do ministry alongside each other. Uh, sister, I'm encouraged by you, strengthened by you. And you really should just preach the message today. <laughs> Love you so much. We end our teaching in times of uh, communion, a uh, time of generosity, time of prayer. And I want to talk to you about generosity quickly here to wrap the sermon up. Uh, and I got a really exciting announcement for you. Uh, a be good news announcement. Uh, it was last November I had a chance to go to Thailand and my life was changed. Um, I was in a village right outside of Mesot in Thailand, and I met a pastor who uh, was preparing some rice and uh, some broth to bring to some children. I followed him uh, from where the kitchen was to this little school, and he served up this rice and this broth to these kiddos. And I ate with them, and we sat together outside, and then I got to hear the story of this pastor. And as I began to walk through the community of children that he served, I realized right away that these children were vulnerable. And I went to the dump where the majority of these children lived. They lived on the edge of this dump, and they were sorting trash, their families sorting trash for income on the dump. And the pastor had let me know that these families had been sought out by traffickers, and these Young moms and young dads were put in positions uh, to where they were being offered money for their children, money for their babies. And sex traffickers were buying children to traffic. And he saw this evil and said, uh, it can't happen. We've got to do something about it. And so they started a, a youth well-being center. And from that, a church and began to do ministry in that area, reaching a community of people who were unreached previously. Uh, and not only unreached, but uh, uh, oppressed. Now, when we started our Good News Initiative, we said that we wanted to be good news for people in the city with our lives, and with our lives included in that category, included expanding the gospel towards unreached people groups. And a lot of it had to do with the, the blessing of exposure. I mean, the blessing of exposure is that I met pastors who are risking everything to take the gospel to people who didn't know it and were doing everything they could to bring the renewal work of Jesus there. And... Uh, you might say uh, the blessing of responsibility, a deep desire to come back and do something about it. And so our elder team has uh, 
agreed to, uh, to sponsor a pastor in, in uh, Myanmar. It would be right outside of uh, some of the communities that we were serving in uh, Maysot in Thailand, but in Myanmar, it would be Luke I as the pastor we're supporting. We're going to be supporting him for the next four years. Uh, the village that he is serving in is Meguk. In that village, he's serving a tribal group that is 0.3% Christian. Uh, they are an unreached people group. And he is taking the gospel to a, a group of people who have not yet heard the gospel on the front lines of Christian ministry. And I couldn't be more excited that New City Church was able to release those funds. Uh, by the way, COVID may have slowed in the past our meeting together, but did not slow the mission of God at New City. And uh, we've been able to, to, to make progress in many ways. And this is one more way we're able to make progress. And I'm so excited that we get to support Luke and his wife and their children and their family as they take the gospel uh, to the frontiers uh, of the world. Uh, they're taking the gospel to people who've never, ever heard it before. So when you celebrate generosity today, I want you to know your generosity goes to our Be Good News initiative, uh, our Be Good News General Fund, and goes to support pastors like Pastor Luke I. Uh, we thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your support of New City. Uh, we want to encourage you to take communion. Remember the body of Jesus broken for you, the blood Jesus shed for you. Uh, remember that it was your reconciliation came by the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. And for today's prayer, I, I want to pray, and I want to pray just me, uh, praying for our country. And I didn't write this prayer out, but it is one that I feel like I need to pray. Uh, Father, I uh, feel completely inadequate, and I don't feel like I handled the topic today as well as I wished I could have. There is so much resentment and so much hurt and so much pain in the world right now and um, we cannot be a people that participate in uh, the vile hatred of people made in your image. Uh, we, we do need to prophetically speak truth, but boy, we, we really need to be loving. A, a people who, does, who, who loves our enemies, who prays for those who persecute us, who are, um, who are, who are not going to return evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but overcome evil with good. Thank you for overcoming the evil in my life with the good gift of your son, Jesus. Make New City Church a people of peace, a people with a message of reconciliation. Help us to share with the world what reconciliation really looks like and how you, Jesus, are the answer to all of our broken relationships and only you. Father, I confess government cannot save us. Our jobs cannot save us. Our parenting cannot save us. Father, only the gift of your son, Jesus, can save us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless.